Good morning, comrades. You're listening to Workers' Power on 4ZZZ and we just listened to Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. Uh, thank you to Hackbook for another awesome art cart. Uh, here we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land from which we broadcast to the Yagara and Turrbal people. This land was stolen, never ceded. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We would also like to acknowledge all First Nation comrades listening today. We stand in solidarity with First Nations people in their struggles for recognition, reparations and land rights. We are living and benefiting on stolen land. It's time to pay the rent. Well, we have an extra special workers' power this week. We're bringing you a mum's power show today. We have some wonderful guests in the studio with me. We have Nadine Shamali returning. Hello, hello. And we also have Delta K all the way up from Bunjalung country. Ah, uh, Jingiwala, you powerful women here. <laughs> and we have a young Jimmy K in the studio. Yeah, give it up for Jimmy. How are you doing, Jimmy? Big smiles from Jimmy. He's smiling. He's not entirely sure what he's supposed to do, but that's fine. Anyway, on the show today, we're just going to have a really good chit-chat about what it means to be a working mum. Um, and, yeah, different challenges we've faced and, yeah, it's going to be pretty special uh before we get into that we're going to do our first nation workers action oh there's jimmy <laughs> uh so the peak body for aboriginal and torres strait islander children is renewing calls for a national commissioner and community-led solutions in the wake of a northern territory inquest into the tragic deaths of three young people Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children are being removed from their families at more than 10 times the rate of non-Indigenous children and are three to, time, three to four times more likely to commit suicide. The Northern Territory coroner heard evidence like late last month about the apparent suicides and sexual abuse of three teenage girls in separate remote communities. In 2016 and 2017, no one has been charged over the deaths, which are being examined together because of the similar issues that have been exposed. The tragedies have seen territory and federal government responses, including an apology from Northern Territory Police for inadequate investigations. The establishment of a multi-agency task force and a federal review of mandatory reporting rules in relation to child sex, sex abuse. Australia's Nuke Children's Commissioner says the protection and promotion of the rights of First Nations children will be a priority during her five-year term, but the peak body for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children has renewed calls for a First Nations Children's Commissioner. Whether or not she will be, she will be successful in effecting change while in the role is under question. Adjunct Professor Muriel Bamblett is the chair of SNAKE and says the proposed measures cannot be implemented without First Nations involvement and oversight. She said the establishment of a national independent Indigenous Children's Commissioner was a vital part of re reforming the system. Miss Bamblett says reports and inquiries consistently call out the dire state of Indigenous children's rights, but fail to result in action, responsibility or accountability from governments. Miss Bamblett says there needs to be a bigger focus on mental health, community healing and therapeutic responses. She says part of that response should include Indigenous-specific children's helplines in every state and territory. Every other state has a really comprehensive mental health service for our children that they can go to. What does the Northern Territory have? 
They don't have those and they don't have them in remote areas, so how do you build it in, she asked. Culture is a protective factor for our children. We must focus on community-led support and healing for our communities, with connection to culture at the heart of our children's well-being. We owe it to our children to uphold their right to be happy and healthy, feeling safe and secure in their identities. With genuine commitment from all governments and investing in Aboriginal-led solutions, we can lead the way. Yes, so do you guys have anything to add, any thoughts about that story? I mean, obviously, it's devastating. Um, yeah. You know, every step that's been taken so far hasn't been enough. Um, and I don't think it ever will be enough. I don't think there's enough that Australia as a country can ever do to make up for what's happened. Um, all we can do is try to put steps in place. And I think even what they're calling for isn't adequate enough. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I think Dale was too busy playing with, with Jimmy over there, reading his spot me, book. Me and Jimmy were checking out <laughs> spot because um, it's like I'm eye-rolling while I'm, I'm looking at spot because, you know, I'm 51 years old and I lived in the Melbourne community. I know Muriel Bamblett and we're still talking about the same thing. Yeah. We are still talking about it. You know, when I was a mum with all my children living in Melbourne... As a childcare worker, still banging on about it. It's ridiculous. So the government really needs to give Aboriginal communities a, a proper voice. Um, and it works because, you know, where I'm from, Byron Bay, our people now have a say on country and our people have training and employment. We are empowered. The government. Yeah, the government must empower plus put the community in in power to, to talk, you know, to come up with their solutions mm -hmm. and the therapeutical needs um, to, for that healing is, is so important. Otherwise, we're just passing on our trauma to our children. All right. Well, you're listening to Mum's Power on 4 Z, and we'll be right back. Believe me. Believe me. Believe me. Believe me. Believe me. Believe me. I can't be more blunt about it. Stop it. And I've got to say, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Hi, this is Brooke from Black Wraparound, Fridays at 12 on Radio Skid Row. We're community radio friends of the 4 Z family. I know you fellas are just as sick at the mainstream media circus as I am. So why not help keep a cousin station alive by donating to Grassroots Radical Radio? Go to startsomegood.com slash Radio Skid Row 2020. Comrades, you're listening to Workers' Power on 4ZZZ. So, as I mentioned before, we have an extra special show today. We're talking about mums and you might be able to hear my little boy Jimmy. He is here reading his spot book. And during the break, we figured out that Nadine's mic wasn't working and we have sorted that out. So you should be able to hear her lovely voice now. Test, test, hello. Yes, yes yay! <laughs> So, yeah, what's some interesting stories you ladies have about being a working mum? Well, I, I, having my children, I'm working in the uh, early childhood industry, I'd wait till they're six months, um, six weeks old, and then I'll go back to work. And I used to hand them over to the baby's room while I looked after the three-year-olds. So the workers, every time baby wanted to be fed, um, would just rush them through the door 
and uh, I'd read spot books to my children while I breastfeed. <laughs> You've got to love spot books. They're the best. Yeah, so but, effective. Um, yeah. Well, my children were really good educational learning too because um, next minute the parents would come in to pick up their kids and all the kids have got their shirts pulled up with the dollies <laughs> drinking from their nipples. So, yeah, they taught... Yeah, they learned a lot from Arnie Delta. It's yeah, awesome. and that's a good, good education, you know. It's all very... Very natural breastfeeding. I just pop my titties out Same. whenever. Some some shocked fathers though when their sons are breastfeeding the dollies. Ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, too bad. Yeah, it's twenty twenty. That stuff happens now. You know. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> um, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, breastfeeding is such a funny thing, isn't it? Because it, people still can be really shocked. And I've got pretty big titties, and when I was breastfeeding they were like huge um, <laughs> and I would just like this big Lebanese woman flopping a big tit out in the middle of um, Target would really be quite confronting to people yeah. um, so it's funny all those different reactions that you get as a parent and then again breastfeeding and being away from your kid as a parent is bananas because I don't know how many people realise that your tits get really, really hard and rock hard and then if a baby gets painful for baby cries, your milk lets down and, um, you know, all of these crazy things are happening to your body and um, I went back to work while I was still breastfeeding and my kid went to daycare and just that being away from him during the day really drove me, you know, almost batty. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it's just one of those funny things that... You know, and I, apparently I breastfed until I was like two or later. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. And um, my mum worked all day and I would refuse food until oh, no. she got home. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm also very pro formula if. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. If you need formula, you, know, you need it. As long as they get fed. Get it, exactly. Fed it still best. does the trick, but. Um, the titty is very uh, handy. Oh, yeah. I've, I've been really lucky with both my kids. I breastfed my daughter, who's 14 now, until she was about 18 months. Yep. And Jimmy's now, how old are you? You're about 15 months, Jimmy. Yep. And he, he replied. Yeah. He loves he loves the titty. <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah, I've been really fortunate. I haven't had to go, like, back to work full time or anything. Um yep. Yeah, so I'm pretty. Yeah. I'm with him most, yeah, of, the most of the time. Yeah, oh, he's, he's in daycare three days a week now, which is nice, and he loves that, and he's fine without it. But um, yeah, yeah. I've always, I don't know, kind of wondered how women are right, like. It must be a real challenge to go back to work mm. really soon and full time. Yeah, and long hours, you know, till five pm. Mm, you'd be spending uh, half the day pumping, wouldn't you? Pretty much, and I think inevitably when you go back full time, most mums just wean. You you, yeah. you can't. You know, it's one of those things where inevitably m- most women don't keep up the pumping. Mm. Most workplaces aren't friendly for that kind of thing and they say they are. And then if you're stepping out every two hours to pump or three hours to pump, eventually managers start getting a little bit like, oh, well, yeah. you know, what are you doing? Yeah. And there's this real double standard. You can step outside to have a cigarette, but you can't step outside <laughs> uh, to pump. You need um, somewhere to pump as well, Yeah, don't exactly. You? You I, I'm a, I was a desk pumper. A I was like, pumper. Just, yeah. you know, if you've got to put up with me being here and, you know, I'm just going to 
put it on my tit and keep working. Um, yeah, at least you can keep working. Yeah, suppose, exactly. Um, but I'm not shy in any way, shape or form. Yeah. So I think for someone who um, w- was more modest than me um, or someone that, you know, wanted a bit of that privacy, I think it would be just near impossible. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, so respect to the mums who do. Um, but, yeah, when Mikey, my little boy, got to a certain age and I went back to work, it was it was just not an option. Um, I would try and try and try and, you know, did it for a few months and then eventually we made the change um, to formula. But he was, you know, over 18 months at that point. So oh, yeah, it wasn't well. too bad. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't too bad. Yeah, Jimmy's, Jimmy's time is limited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you. <ya. laughs> hey, yeah. buddy. Yeah. It really affects your, um, you know, your health and well-being when you're under that pressure. Yeah. So uh, it's not good. By my fourth uh, breastfeed, my fourth child, uh, I got mastitis yeah. because you do get really anxious trying to, to juggle everything as a mum and, yeah. and give your baby the best. So that was a really hard time for me when I got mastitis. It did you feel pressure to keep to keep at the breastfeeding though? Like, or, I, or did you put pressure on yourself? Uh, the health industry really wanted me to just um, keep trying, but yeah. it's pretty hard when you've got this feeling like someone's stabbing you in the nipple with yep. a knife. Mm. Yeah. Um, I got really cranky at them and said, I can't. Yeah. You're talking to a woman who's holding her fourth baby. Yeah. I'm not a newbie. Don't talk to me like I'm a newbie and I'm not trying. Yeah. Um, so I did have to give up yeah. after six weeks on my fourth child, which yeah. is, you know, quite devastating. You, I can you feel that. You feel like you're letting your child down. You're not giving the, them the oh. best of the best. Yeah. But it is what it is. and um, But but it is also mm. the best in a way because mum is happy, yes. mum is more functional. Yeah. Like it, there's this real inherent guilt associated with that giving up and that switching to mixed feeding and switching to stuff. And there's so much pressure. You can't look anywhere without being like, you have to do it this way. And that's just a part of being a parent um, yeah. and especially a working parent there is no winning you're always going to feel that guilt it doesn't matter what you do you could you know have 58 nannies helping you <laughs> clean and do it's everything. society yeah. isn't it yeah. they just put yeah. so much pressure on us totally. if you're working you get people put crap on you because you're working instead yeah. of being with your baby but if you're at home with your baby they put you know crap on you for just being just being a stay-at-home mom yeah. <laughs> Oh, just being a stay-at-home mum yeah. is my favourite. Yeah. They're not doing anything at home. Oh, no, no, no. They're just sitting around all day. Most stay-at-home mums are also hustling, like also working in some way besides just keeping a house. Yeah. So I don't know many stay-at-home mums that aren't like trying to sell something online or baking cakes on the weekend or doing some sort of extra hustle um, to try to make ends meet. Yeah, well, you have to these days because we can't to. survive on just a one-income family no. like we could back, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. Mum has to work as well. Yeah. So I lost my job when my boy was about uh, five and it was devastating because that was our sole income and I was a single mum. So I went from being an administrator to suddenly and a social worker to baking cakes. Yes. I'd never baked a cake really in my life, but you just make it work. And yeah, I thought, how I'm am I going to do this? I'm at home. I'm going to start baking cakes. So for a couple of years, I was a cake maker. Oh, really? And it, yeah. <laughs> and it was the most bananas thing because, <laughs> you know, like I can cook, but you just have to try to kind of jam it in and do it in some way. Yeah. Um, and I think people don't consider that a lot of the time. They're just, oh, she's baking cakes. That's a nice hobby for her. 
no, I'm trying to pay rent. Like, yeah. I'm trying to, I don't really like baking cakes. No one knew that. I didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they were lovely cakes. Yeah, no, they were beautiful. They really were. And the clients were very happy. Yeah. You know, you know yeah. uh, everyone was very supportive and great, but it was, it was work. Yeah. Mm. Gee, that's better than mine. Mine was scrubbing toilets for a while. As you do, you just do what you got to do. Yeah. 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 My and sister ironed. Yeah. You know, baskets of ironing that she could bring over and, and do. Uh, 16% of Australian women, 1.5 million, have experienced physical violence from a partner since they were 15, and more than 1 million Australian children are affected by domestic and family violence. On average, one woman per week is killed by a current or former partner. Of the people who asked for help from specialist homelessness services due to domestic and family violence-related issues, more than three out of four, or 77%, were female. And now, as the New South Wales Parliament debates amendments to family violence legislation, new research shows that some victim survivors are being charged as offenders instead, while children are not being protected by apprehended violence orders. Under a system in which police officers have been labelled as, as domestic violence enablers by, in, by investigators and domestic violence workers, we need a deep systematic and cultural overhaul. It is claimed the culture of failing to take action against perpetrators within the police force is fueling a culture of impunity in law enforcement. Add to this the repeated ineffectiveness of restraining orders to protect survivors, the media's tendency to victim blame and sympathise with perpetrators and cops who leak addresses of survivors, and we have a culture in which domestic violence is enabled to flourish. Get this, 84 serving Queensland police officers have been accused of domestic violence in the past five years. Add to this the pandemic in which thousands of women have reported experience violence, experiencing violence from their partner for the first time. A recent survey of 15,000 women found that one in 10 women who were in a relationship reported experience viol experiencing violence in the three months to May. For 33% of these women, it was the first time they had experienced it in their relationship. More than half who had experienced previous abuse said it had escalated. Earlier this year, the government banned travellers with domestic violence charges from entering the country, and yet they do nothing to change the crisis in our own backyard. The government is enabling this crisis. And little Jimmy is getting a little bit frustrated being stuck in his chair. <laughs> well, I'd be frustrated too if uh, the government were doing that too, Jimmy, so good on ya. Yeah. Those, those numbers were really full-on 84 um was that i think it was 84 police officers or 64 police yes officers. 84 serving uh, queensland police officers serving queensland police mm, officers yeah. and i mean those are the ones that have been found culpable proven before a court of law um and if anyone's worked in domestic violence you know that it is very very difficult to prove domestic violence mm. um you know to get an order through and to prove it there has to be pretty solid evidence yeah um Courts don't hand out domestic violence orders willy-nilly um, and it is quite difficult. So those numbers are just the ones that have been reported and caught and put through the system. And that's a terrifying thought. Um, these are the people that are meant to be protecting us, apparently. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, are actually responsible. So you wonder when women get call-outs, call, call outs, uh, you know, police get call-outs to go and people say things like, well, they didn't take me seriously. Mm. Um 
th- those are the kinds of things that that those are the people that are going out to help. Exactly. Yeah. And I've I've read I was reading a story yesterday about a lot of calls to these domestic service hotlines. Um, they, they they're often from women in rural areas, and they don't go to their local authorities or anything because their their husband's a cop. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, so they end up having to call out. Oh, little Jimmy, I might grab you and put you on my lap, hey, buddy. So the women have to, uh, you know, call this domestic violence hotline as opposed to calling the local cop shop uh, to get assistance. The thought of that is just baffling um, because there's no other service and there's no other place for women to go um, that are in that situation. And, you know, if the only place you have to go is where your abuser works... I mean, <laughs> I, I shouldn't be laughing, but it, it is laughable. It is, yeah. It's it's just a, a it's a systemic issue. Like it's it's so deeply embedded in our culture. I yeah. think, and like, I didn't really, I didn't get to watch the whole thing, but the Four Corners program last night, they were talking about um, the culture of sexism mm-hmm. in Canberra and in Parliament, and how much difficulty women experience who are working there um yeah it just really goes to show how deep deeply this <laughs> this issue goes and we try to see ourselves oh we're progressive country you know yeah. uh, equality equality um but yeah we don't have this basic you know Premise of of equality. I mean, the fact that everyone's brain exploded when we had Larissa Waters take her baby to Parliament and and have a feed to Senate, um, you know, and and here she was with a bub and everyone, oh, wow, it's insane, it's crazy, it's so... You know, that should be so normal that we don't even bat an eyelid. Um, You know, I'm about to pop a photo of Hannah um, breastfeeding Jimmy (laughs) there at the desk and that should be the most normal thing we can see a mother do. Um, And to have systems in place where mums can bring bubs to work and can we're perfectly capable of working with our bub there yeah we run a whole household often we run a million other things um just providing a little bit more of that support would would be delta you said that you could take your kids to work because you worked in a childcare center so you had the facilities and the capabilities to have bub with you when needed and you could pop over and see them if something was going really really wrong was that something that you know was great for you? Yeah, when I was younger in the day, it was normal for a parent to have their child with them all the time. So if 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 your child wasn't feeling okay, then you'd keep them with you at work. Yeah. And that was just an unsaid given that the community raised your child. Yeah. That's what our society should be doing. Yeah. Our workplaces should have a playroom where parents could sit and relax with their child to have that one-on-one and then back at the desk. Yeah. And the child's had that one-on-one and that rest and, and mum engaging in an activity. Yeah. Or, or dad. Yep. And then they're, they're taken back to the desk. I yeah. think our children will learn a lot about um, being able to to um, switch codes of, you know, I have to be quiet Mm -hmm. and keep myself busy while mum or dad's busy at the desk Mm -hmm. um, because I know I'm going to get rewarded with that that time together. Yeah. And they do know, mm, don't they? They do. You know, my little boy, when I work from home, you know, mummy's going to work. I've got 10 minutes of phone calls. Just go chill out for a little bit. And, you know, from about five, he was able to self-entertain and do those things. Don't be wrong. There would occasionally be a mm, head popping yeah. around the door, <laughs> me frantically waving. But um, it is something that you can teach kids. So 
Yeah, it's so important to have that that space to be able to really connect with your children mm-hmm. on a daily basis, which is something that I find a lot of parents find really hard because they spend so much time working yep. and not with their children. Then when they come home, they're tired, they go to do the cooking, they go to do the cleaning. Yep. So they're, they're finding it difficult to connect with their children. And without that connection, children, I don't think, can develop that ability to you know, go away and play by themselves and let mum and dad do their own thing. So yeah. We, we have that in my household a fair bit. So one of the reasons I work now contract hours and casual hours as much as I can, um, my little boy is eight and on weekends he goes to dad's. So when I was working full time, it was before school care, school, after school care, by the time I drove from the CBD, mm-hmm. pick him up 6pm, yep. get home 630 Dinner was quick, you know, bit of chicken in the pan and some rice, whatever mm. was there, mm. and some veggies in the microwave most nights. Quick bath, in bed, and then weekends he'd go to Dad's because it's oh. important he has quality time yeah. with Dad. You know, like that was something that was really also important, but it meant that he wasn't getting any time with me. It was just the only mum time he was getting was, come on, buddy, let's go, let's go, let's go, shoes on, yeah. out the door. Yeah, And it is... You know, even for parents that aren't split parents, uh, you know, I have friends who I don't have time to do homework with my kids because of after school care and doing that kind of thing. And that was really, really hard uh, working those hours and trying to, to have a relationship with my son. It it was really hard. Yeah. It, and it's incredible how we just make it happen. Like I had yeah. a van with my six children. Yeah. I drive to the childcare centre, yeah. uh, book them into their rooms um, first drop off the big kids to school. cross the road to the primary school and then on the way home the the, the school kids um, would take turns reading their home readers because I didn't have time to oh, read in their the home car. readers yeah, at we home. Don't. So on the way home we'd, that half an hour would be going through the home readers then everyone had to be quiet while they listened to someone talk about their day. Yeah. So... That was the quality time. That was the quality time where we sat quietly in the vehicle <laughs> at the lights and listened to people read, talk about their day, discuss their problems, tell me how horrible the teacher was or how wonderful. And in that time, you need to be mentally scrambling, uh, filing away which child is doing what and which teacher is doing what and who do I need to, uh, you know, send a letter to and do... You're balancing all of this stuff. Yeah, it's huge. I can't even imagine doing it with four. Like, I have one and I was like nope I'm done that's it tap out this, and you've got to make sure you got all those ingredients for dinner so it's yeah. like oh hang on kids have got to run in here and get a uh, tin of tomatoes yeah yeah and then straight home and uh yeah hustle, how, hustle, how hustle. did you manage with like four different kids like liking different foods even and stuff like I can't even fathom you know trying to organize food for four kids it was easy was it I, I just lined up the plates yep. from uh one to six plus me and my my hubby yeah, and uh, the one on the left was always the youngest, yep. and the one on the right was always the eldest. So you had so a sister. So I knew to skip the third plate of pumpkin. <laughs> the third child hated hated pumpkin. That's amazing. And the fourth child hated tomatoes. <laughs> so you just get in that rhythm of just dishing habit. up because I'm I'm the one I'd rather just give them twice as much broccoli something else instead that they of like. fight them over a yeah, tomato. Totally. So yeah, you just balance all of that. And then um, off to bed and, and 
yeah, but that's the emotional workload, isn't it? That you you have and people don't consider it. Like there's a there's a mum with four kids who has a mental hard drive of who likes what and whose teachers doing what and who's what that she's just picked up on the go. She's in the car. This is where she's filing it all away, <laughs> and, and she kind of puts it into action. <laughs> Project managing is what they call it in in yeah. workplaces. But you're just doing that on the go. And yeah, I then, love how they're numbered your children. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> um, now that they're all adults, I can I can jokingly say to people, "This is number five. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, well, I get mixed up with their names. Yeah. The kids always tease me about that. I'd go, "Stop doing that, Carla." And my daughter Ricara would be going, "My name's Ricara, not Carla." <laughs> So I'd always get ripped by my children yeah. um, mixing up their names. That was so my, numbers my were really easy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just would call mine alien. Like this is my little because when he was inside me, he felt like I had an alien infestation. So I'd be like, this is my little alien. He's out now. Little face hugger. <laughs> oh, that looks like an alien yeah. when they're elbowing. Totally, you the and they're like in there. It's totally yeah. something from the movies. And um, you know, they're sucking away at all your uh, your vitamins and minerals oh, like a little parasite. Awful, isn't and, it? Yeah, I um. Pregnancy did not like me at all. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. I didn't do too bad the, with the first one, but I was only 18. I was going to say, were you younger? Because yeah. that seems to make a difference. It made a huge difference. I had a, had a bit of insomnia, but that was about it. It was just a breeze. But with Jimmy being a bit older, um, yeah, I felt it yeah. <laughs> a, lot, yeah. a lot more. <laughs> did you feel it, Delta, between one and four? Like, oh, energy levels? Yeah. yeah. All of it. Like, yeah. was it better yeah. one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. look, number one was great. You yeah. know, I couldn't wait to get fat. So um, when I got on the tram, um, people would get off their seat to let me sit down. Yeah, right. Like, you know, and then you'd, like, really push your go yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, put your hand on your back. As a fat woman, I sometimes like, pretend I to do that. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want to give up my chair, but look at you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you, you know, uh, because it's triple Z, I can talk about this. I had an abortion when I was 18, 19. And, um, you know, now in hindsight, I'm like, God damn it, I wish I did the kid back then instead of at 31. <laughs> like, as awful as that is, you know, I couldn't have been a parent. Yeah. But body-wise, there is that element of like, oh, fuck. It's, uh, you know, yeah, I wish I did kind of uh, do that when my body was... Uh, much more able to handle it. So. It bounced back so much better. I to- well, when well, I was apparently, OT, I don't oh, know. I I mean, a couple of months later, I was back a skinny, at it. Teen, teenage girl again. <laughs> oh, you make me sick. Yeah. When you do that, they just go, I was just yeah, a haggard goat, in. literally with a beard. I still haven't gotten it. I gave myself a little clip this morning. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Beard. It just, what yeah, is no. that? Yeah. We're supposed to be women. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have a quick pluck before I come. It's, yeah, yeah, same. It's... Uh, I haven't you know. got that yet. I've still got the, what's it called? That marking? Uh, melasma. Yeah, I've still got that on my forehead from Jimmy. It wow. was really dark before. Yeah, but your skin yeah, changes. I noticed that. Yeah, I was just oh. since, since having Jimmy, it popped up in my pregnancy. But it's just my, my Jimmy mark, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> my luxurious beard, I like to tell people. Yeah. <laughs> part Lebanese, part pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever works for you. Yeah. Um, one story I thought I would share today is... Back in the day when my daughter was little and she was in preschool in Suffolk Park, um, I was working as a cleaner in Byron and I used to... I didn't own a car. I don't think I even had a licence then. Um, I had to drop her off at preschool on the way to, to work in the morning, but there was no buses at the right time. So every day I would walk her up 
to the preschool. It was probably about a 30-minute walk. And I'd walk back down to the main road and I would hitchhike to work. <laughs> I was never late, though. I made it there every day to work. <laughs> you are deadly. <laughs> that went on for about six months. And thankfully, I own a car now and have a licence. And Yeah, but this is just, I don't know. Yeah, you can do hard. that kind of thing down there, though, like just yeah. hitchhike kind of thing. It's not Brisbane, you know. No, no it, was, it was Byron Bay, I yeah, want to specify. Like Byron Bay. It was very, very different. <laughs> Everyone knows everyone's faces. Yeah, I used to get picked up by the same people. Yeah, and, it's yeah. safe. Yeah. So um, my favourite is my son famously is a key hider, well, was when he was a little Ooh. bit young. And um, there was one day before school, I just, where are the keys, Mikey, please? And he couldn't talk, so he couldn't tell me. Um, and he didn't care. Uh, <laughs> I just love watching your face be all stressed. <laughs> yeah, I'm stressed now about it. You know, it was one of those things and I thought, oh, God, and I searched and searched and there was no keys. So, of course, let's go get a cab to kindy and then go to work and whatever and get home and, again, couldn't find the keys and took ages and then eventually we figured out he'd thrown them off the balcony. Oh, I lived no. in an apartment and they were down in my neighbour's little uh, little patio area <laughs> and she called up, these yours? And I was like, yeah, thanks, that was oh. Oh. <laughs> but, um, yeah, lose and I, because I'm a very organised, responsible adult, did lose them more than once. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we've all done that. Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy oh. took mine the other day, and I lost them for two days. And then he just walked inside from the backyard a couple of days later with them. I'm like, oh, thanks, mate. I had spare, I had spare car keys though. <laughs> yeah, Thankfully. I always keep a spare. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really comes in handy. But now, yeah, I'm like. He's got my keys. Look at you guys, responsible adults with yeah. your second keys. <laughs> well, you learn by losing them. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it costs a lot of money to yeah, replace. Yeah, so I'm trying, so. to, trying to get Smiley to get another yeah. key cut for his yeah. car because it happens yeah. and it hurts. Yeah. It's devastating yeah. when it happens. You've got to have uh, spare every every key, front door, everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah all the spare keys. <laughs> Don't touch that little buddy. Jimmy's just <laughs> wandering around the studio checking everything out, having a little poke of this and a little poke of that. He's been so good for a little person at work. Yeah, he, he is. You Wonderful. Know. I watched this really cool documentary. Um, you know, it was like a mini documentary on the ABC or something and um, about kids in Japan uh, catching the trains to school on their own from a very young age. And it's because the culture kind of adapted apparently you know so this is i'm just going on what i saw in the documentary so you know often when we see things on television and in documentaries it's not actually really like that yeah uh, you know i know from being from a different culture that oh lebanon is like this and i'm like that's not what it's no. like at all but <laughs> <laughs> let's go with what the documentary showed me um and it was a little girl that caught the train to school on her own and she was five and you know apparently because the culture has adapted to having that work life kind of thing people just kind of make way for children going to school and respect that that's something that's happening and they're quite well cared for uh, in the community and uh, the community has adapted to children having that sense of independence but also being protected and looked out for. You know, it, it's something you don't touch the kids, you don't talk to the kids, you don't, you know. I would ideally wouldn't it be amazing to have something like that yeah, yeah. i don't think we're even kids are legally allowed to walk to school by themselves until they're 11 or something I some think. ridiculous age yeah it might yeah. be 11 because mm. my daughter used to walk to school anyway yes yeah i i'm way too much of a control freak mum really? you know yeah i i'm a drop to the gate and then because it's an inner city school as well oh yeah yeah so you know with the big child health, uh, you know, mental health building next door and stuff like that. So yeah, <laughs> with a big yeah, gate yeah, around yeah, yeah. it. Um, but 
you know, so I will drop him to school and stay looking in the rear view until I know he's gone through the mm. gate. Um, and I hate that that's something that I do mm. and that's something I feel I have to do. Um, that's the society we're, we're living in, you know. Yep. My, my culture, the Aboriginal culture, you know, traditionally if you did something wrong, yep. uh, punishment was really swift yep. and uh, to touch a child, well, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're banished, mate. Yep. You're banished from your family and, and your mob. Yep. So, um, Because you, we have kids, that community. Kids have, you have that freedom. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's that community accountability. People know each other. Everyone knows who you are, who your family is, where you're from. Uh, your whole family's going to get banished if they don't take action as well for, for my culture. Yep. You know, I yep. can't speak to yours, but for me, you know, you grow up in areas, we know where someone's from according to their surname, according yeah. to their language, yep. according to their dialect. So, yes. you know, we have that kind of part in my culture and I think I've seen that also here in Aboriginal culture. Yep. Uh, you know, you know where someone's mob is from and you know who to go to if yep. someone is... And you're, you're obligated to look after them. Others, other children, yeah. 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 It's really, really important and that's what we lack in today's society, you yeah. know. Do, Our kids do you, aren't safe. Do you think that's a symptom of that kind of they came, they colonised, no one knew each other, there was no connection in the community to each other. Um, it was very just, you know, uh, they were all strangers, you know, kind of put on an island um, and there was no way to build that. I don't know. I mean, I try to figure it out what the hell happened um, you know like I th- how did I think you do it's this? just you know judge the the book by its cover you know yeah. the, the the newcomers came to Bundlung country and yeah. they saw uh, our people naked and they just yeah. thought oh what savages yeah and they looked around and they went uh, where's their churches where's their schools yeah had they sat down, watched and listened to Bundjalung people, yeah. they would have saw that the land was our church. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we didn't need jails because the laws were so strict. Yeah. And our children learnt out on the land, mimicking and watching and listening and learn them very important family yeah. values yeah. of respect. And Delta, I see you, I had a quick look on your website and I see that you teach um, culture and community and, and about your culture specifically. Do you feel like that's something um, that in Bunjalung country you're a lot more connected and your community's a lot more connected than it is here in the city? Definitely. Um, and I suppose us having such such beautiful environment around us, like, you know, yeah. you're just waking up with, you know, hundreds of birds song and it's just beautiful, stunning beaches. Um, everyone's, you know, loves, loves our little town. Yeah. And I'm really lucky that children can come and learn from um, our culture and... I get hugged by the end of it and kids, yeah. you know, hugging me saying, oh, wish I was Bunjalung. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You yep. know, listening to dreaming stories and the way we uh, interact with the land. Yeah. And for them to walk away and, and you know, I can teach them Bunjalung language mm-hmm. and say to them, Boogle Bear, thank you. And they say that back to me. Yeah. Um, and I can just say to them, you know, you're going to look after country too and, and the kids yeah. are all just so excited about that. Yeah. And they're grabbing leaves to take home so their parents can smell the medicine. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? It is. It, it, it's, um, it's something really magical that I think is removed from... Not magical, that's the wrong word because it almost sounds condescending. It's something really special um, that has been stripped away from what 
this land was and what the culture of this <laughs> land was. Um, and I'd love to see, and we are seeing, we're seeing people like you working so hard um, to bring that back. Um, my hope is by the time my little boy is an adult that that is just part of his daily life um, to, to respect the land and respect the culture and, and, you know, it's his culture, not just our culture. Exactly. Uh, you know, and, and I love passing that on and, and giving people that responsibility. Yeah. You know, all these sacred sites here, yeah. um, this is your history too. Yeah. You know, and, and you it are is because you're here. To look That's your history. It. Yeah. It's, you know, you live on this land. That is your history and you need to respect that. Yeah. Um, y- yeah, I think the work you do is, is invaluable um, and so appreciative because... When I moved here as a child, as a little refugee um, child, we weren't taught anything about traditional culture and, and, and traditional, um, you know, First Nations culture and it, traditional... I'm really sorry. I sometimes don't always use the right words and I know there's this real thing about using the right words, especially online, you know, having the right terms. So, excuse me, but... No, that's fine. We're all learning. I, yeah. I, I don't know much about your culture. Yeah, you but, know, you know, I, I feel listening. like the responsibility is it mm. has to be on me. I came here, you know, and, and that the onus has to be on me and my people to learn what is here when we came here. And it actually took a really long time to learn that. Yeah. You know, yeah. like to, to learn that the responsibility is on me and that it's on all of us as settlers to do that um you know and and really it's all of our responsibility to push that onto our communities um you know to to learn we didn't learn about it at school we didn't learn what traditional values were and and what um custom was on on this land but now i'm seeing it slowly change my son comes home oh yeah my mum and uh you know he greets me in traditional (laughs) language and uh you know last week they had some artists out you know they're of course celebrating nidoc and you know arthur conlon came out and taught them how to paint uh you know and and they're really trying to embrace and i think it's really important especially as parents um to push that in the schools like um the school kind of has a joke that nadine has an agenda and i do <laughs> i do have an agenda i'm that mum that's constantly you know but now. we have to be yeah. we've got to hold our um schools accountable they must be um teaching the the aboriginal in the in in their curriculum so yeah. if, if parents aren't pushing them to it then uh, some schools don't yeah do a good job and they, they make a very uh sad job of it by making it tokenistic yeah and just doing it on the indigenous Days. celebrations yep. when it should be across the board yep. and in all their learning whether it's maths or science yep. or geography yep. um it's really simple to do and they they need to form that relationship with their local mob yeah so it's authentic yeah and that the local mob um um, a leading that, yeah, they're leading exactly yep. that empowerment of the the local people. Yeah, give them a voice. Yeah, and uh, and pay school, them. Yeah, and, and pay, pay them. them. Yeah, and yeah. pay them. You know, this is something that. that sorry, do we, we need to move to the next? No, no, bit? no, no. 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 Um, something that is, I'm really mindful of is the fact that we draw on um, people to teach us, and we ask them for their time and their energy. And you know, we were talking about all the things that you have, Delta, in your life. You've got four kids, and you all this, and new life, and working, whatever. And then we also have this expectation on you to teach us, and it's baffling that people aren't. Um, respecting that that's extra work for you like you're willing and happy to do that but that's so much work so 
as parents and, and as workers, if you're engaging people to come and teach you make sure you pay them um and even if they say no no this is a community donation you have to do it yeah yeah you know? we pay someone to to wash our car or carpets or change a tire absolutely and this is so much more valuable yeah you know definitely. and and it's our responsibility thank you you know no you don't need to thank me at all that's mm. it's something mm. that needs to be said and i think um i'm a bit of a loud mouth so i can say it you know <laughs> put it down people's throats a little bit more but yeah um you know, we have to, and I think I hope anyone that's listening that has kids does that, um, goes to their school and says, hey, look, this is what we need to do and, and starts changing things. Yeah, because it's not hard and a lot of schools no. don't do it because they just don't know. Yeah. Um, but if they start reaching out and asking people, and yeah. yes, it does take time because you must uh, form that relationship, that, yeah. that trust. Yeah. Aboriginal people, we've been dispossessed and, you yeah. know, you, we, you know our history. It's yep. an awful history. And there's so many community people out there who are frightened yep. um, from their experiences at schools. Yeah. Principals are scary. They are. You know? They are. And, at uh, the best of times. Some of them aren't very good coming across to an Aboriginal family and making them feel welcome. You yeah. can put the Aboriginal flag up there, yeah. but you've got to yeah. put the action behind it. Yep. Yep. And learn how to communicate and learn the nuances of different cultures you know they go out of their way a lot of the time and i see this working in refugee communities they do yes. really try for refugee communities and, and i think that's wonderful and it needs to keep happening but i don't see it as much as well trying for aboriginal kids and oh, it's because it's so they're true. already here mm, you know yeah. oh they're already here so you know they already went through the system they're not new to the country and blah 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 that's rubbish uh you know they're still feeling different to you yeah on Bundjalung country you see it in some towns how they're having these big fundraisers and big cook-ups and these big welcoming uh uh events for refugees which is great which is great yeah i've never heard anyone Uh, say no i've never you know growing up in my lifetime um seen that happen for aboriginal people yeah it's it's like um yeah we just you know sweep sweep it under the carpet and look the government has been pulling funding for a lot of programs uh educational programs for refugee people so i've worked in the refugee migrant sector for a long time and there used to be a program through um the organizations that welcome refugees where they taught you know a four or five day program about um australia and traditional language and culture and they'd get someone out from community to come and learn and it was this beautiful thing that I saw happening under the last lot of legislation and then the tender changed Mm. and the funding was cut and that was cut and it was kind of like this really interesting they almost wanted to disconnect um, new coming refugee communities from learning about culture um, because it was one of the things no there's no room for that anymore sorry no capacity and with the Syrian cohort in particular that came out a few years ago from the Middle East and the Syrian war they had this really in Queensland anyway I saw a really good understanding of what happened um, what Australian history was what First Nations history was um, and then the funding got pulled I'm really curious, you know, whether there was a conversation at government level about that happening um, because th- that needs to be a... If we're teaching people the English language, so under the HSP program, we bring them yep. here and we say you have to learn a certain number of hours of English and it used to be you have to cert- learn a certain number of hours about culture as well. That's been pulled. Why has it been pulled? Mm. What's going on? Why aren't, Why isn't that just part of the curriculum of coming to Australia? I don't. Um, maybe the government doesn't want the uh, first 
peoples of all these countries rising up. Yeah, yeah well, it makes Probably. sense to me. They want to create a disconnect. That, that colonised uh, yeah. thinking, yep. keep us down. Yep, don't connect us. Yeah. And I feel like we've always been traditionally played against each other. Yep. Um, certainly as a newcomer, you know, the awful things that you were taught um, and the awful things people are taught about migrants. Yeah. You know, we all get taught the awful things about each other. Yeah, there's that horizontal violence again. Yeah, and then as a result, we don't connect. Yeah. Um, so, you know, days like today are really special for me where I actually get to sit down and have a chat and make friends, new friends across cultures and communities. It's, it's so important and so beautiful. So Yeah, Aww. it's scary what the media portrays about, you know, um, traditional peoples from their countries. Mm. Yeah. I've had the pleasure of living in Melbourne, a very rich, yeah. multicultural um, city. Yeah. And... Um, I've seen the good in all these cultures. Yep. Yep. And now that I've moved back home to my traditional homelands at Byron and, you know, you're watching TV and people go, oh, that they're so uh, violent. And I go, mm. they're not. Yeah. We're yeah. just seeing, seeing a little snippet. That's right. We're yeah. seeing the extremists. Yeah. Yeah, yeah literally the like fringe. That. My friends, I, I know yeah. friends from that culture. Yeah. They're beautiful, they're loving, yeah. they share so many uh, um, cultural values like Aboriginal people. Yeah. Mm. It's funny how similar our cultures are, actually. Very. The more and more I learn, even words. Um, so, there's something that a friend of mine explained to me. When I say to a child, like, I'm auntie, but I'll say auntie to them. Yeah. And a friend of mine said, we say auntie to the child. Yeah. Like, hey, auntie, come here. And a friend of mine said, oh, we do that where I'm from. And I was like, that's amazing that, you know, an uncle will call his child uncle. Yes. Like, you know, yep. Yep. that's yep. something in my culture and I've never seen it anywhere else. And Yeah, that's what I love with uh, sharing kids um, with my education program. Yeah. They'll sit down and go, oh, hello. Uh, Jinkiwala, my name's Auntie Delta. Yeah. And they look at me and I go, yeah, you're wondering, you're not my auntie. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. say to them, but in my culture, in Bundjalung culture, yeah. um, we pay our respects to all adults. Even yeah. if we don't know them, we call them auntie yeah. and uncle. So I'm going to show respect to your teachers. That's and I'll nice. say to the teachers, hello, auntie. Hello, Uncle. That's so nice. And I said to the kids, is that, is that a nice way to be? And they yeah. all nod their heads. Yep. Yeah. And Hannah was doing it earlier with Jimmy, you know, Auntie Nadine and Auntie Del. Yes. And I do it with my son as well, you know, and he's like, oh, I've got so many aunties and uncles. Yeah. People don't have that many aunties and uncles. I was like, they do, they just don't know about it. Like, you yeah. know, it's, uh, <laughs> That's how our children should be growing up, rich in culture and loved by so many. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. You're listening to Workers Power on a for Triple Z and currently it's me, Hannah and Nadine in the studio. Hello. Auntie Delta has taken young Jimmy for a little walk. So we might get into another workers action story, hey? What have we got? Uh, so soaring rents are forcing thousands of older, older Australians out of their homes and onto the street amid signs of another housing boom. Older women have been recognised as the fastest growing group of homeless people in Australia in recent years. Recently released research finds about 240,000 women aged 55 and older and another 165,000 women aged 45 to, 45 to 54 are at risk of homelessness and around 37% of people seeking help from specialist homelessness services in 2018-2019 
were experiencing domestic and family violence. Australia has made little policy progress on housing affordability. We also have a severe shortage of social housing to meet demand. In May, the Workplace Gender Equality Agency, WGEA, released a report on the gendered impact of COVID-19 with a plan to mitigate the inevitable economic blow that women will face. The problem is, not only has the government not taken up any of these recommendations, they aren't even talking about the problem. Scott Morrison has not addressed this issue even once. Not only is there no plan, but there isn't even a conversation. Far too often, issues such as these are assigned to women's organisations or agencies to discuss and to generate plans that never come to fruition. This is not a women's issue. This is an Australian issue, one that we should be speaking up about regardless of our gender. Unequal pay, the accumulation of assets and superannuation gaps are systemically leaving Australian women more financially disadvantaged. Making matters worse, this is compounded by situations of family violence where women are forced to choose between homelessness and returning to an unsafe place that no one should have to call home. On average, women retire with just over half the superannuation savings that men do. But worse, one in three women retire with no super at all. And this government's early access super scheme will only exacerbate this problem, further depleting retirement savings. It is also a grim fact that in many of the female-dominated industries, the wages and conditions are woefully inadequate. For too long, women have held an unfair amount of responsibility that has only led to disproportionate hardship. And, yeah, so I think this is a really good, not good, (laughs) really important topic to talk about. something I'm terrified of, personally. Mm. I almost have no super. Um, I had to draw on it for some medical stuff. And as a result, um, it's quite low. And then when you work as a contractor, um, and many women are in fields where we do contract. Um, Social work is often contract work. Uh, Interpreting is contract work. Uh, They don't pay your super. Um, And, of course, we don't always pay ourselves super because... Yeah, I'm supposed to be paying mine because I'm contracted as a um, support worker, but I haven't. But you you haven't because you try and put every dollar you have (laughs) towards your kids and your family and your life and everything and, and... you know, so, so you don't. Um, and super is this really funny system that depends on the workplace doing it for you. And, um, you know, as a result, I, I'm pretty sure that, you know, I don't know, I've got like three grand in there or something That's ridiculous. That's about what I've got, I think. Oh, maybe yeah. I've got four. <laughs> Look, you know, around there. A few grand. Um, you know, like, exactly. And, um, you know, I'm 40 and I'm getting a little bit older and, um, you know, that's one issue. Housing affordability is another issue. Um, you know, I've stayed in relationships way past their use-by date. So many women do, yes. Yeah, uh, that were very, very unhealthy, very toxic, not great for me or my child um, because I needed half the rent paid. Oh, yeah, I you feel know? you. Ouch. So yeah. dating someone that, ha- that is paying half the rent. Um, and people say things like, well, just kick him out and get a new roommate and stuff. I mean, I don't think people understand the repercussions of, as a mother, just getting someone in. Yeah, you to, can't just get someone in. You can't in, just can get you? someone in. And you, you can't just suddenly upend your child's life um, with this new person in and the old person out or whatever it is. And then there's another layer of that. I don't want to impose my child on a mate, you know, as yeah. much as I love well, my it's, child. Well, it's really different 
share housing, you know, you know, without children. We're but totally. in a household with a child, it's a completely different environment. Totally. And yeah. and you know, I don't know if you've ever spent time with an eight year old, but mum, hey, you know, and if you're living with them, it's a question about every little thing. They're so curious and their minds are so kind of like a little sponge and I don't I don't want to put someone else through that um, yeah, as much yeah. as I and I don't you know and the house has to be a certain quality and there's kids stuff everywhere everywhere <laughs> and, and you know at the moment it's bloody warhammer stuff yeah. and, you know like it changes you think it when the lego stops it gets better it doesn't there's just new crap yeah my daughter's 14 and now it's just makeup yeah and right makeup that's really cool. I'm, yeah, I'm on my way <laughs> um, but, but you know it, 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 that as a result so you know couple of years ago relationship ended and it should have ended a year or two earlier than that um but you know you start looking at apartments and you think oh well can I afford this on Centrelink if, if, if I have to? Can't there's, afford anything no, on Centrelink. <laughs> there, there's no way. There's no. absolutely impossible. Mm. Um, you know, so at one stage I was thinking, we're going to get a studio apartment and, you know, my little six or seven-year-old, we're going to share a studio apartment where he's in mummy's bed and blah, blah, blah. And is that better for him than living with a partner? No, I'm just going to swallow it and just put up with all the things and, you know, and if that was a violent situation, it wasn't a nice situation, it was a toxic situation, but if that was a violent situation, um, the repercussions again would have been much, much worse. Yeah. Um, so this problem with housing affordability and... Um, it's just huge. It's endemic. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's this story, I think, it just must be... So common I think, around yeah. the country. So many women, women I've spoken to just staying in relationships just so they can afford to put a roof over their children's yep. heads. Yep. I've, I've admittedly done it myself. Yep. And and people say, oh, well, you should be able to afford it all. But even if, like, I've only ever let partners pay half. Yeah. And I pay my half. Yeah. I pay my way. I'm very, like, super strict because I don't ever want anyone to be like, Oh well, I'm paying for your rent, or yeah, I'm supporting yeah, you. Know, you, 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 know. yeah. But even with that, there's still so much that that you you can't get away from. You know, they're still kind of holding it over you. Well, I'm paying half the rent, um, and you you can't get away. It's really hard. Mm. Yeah, yeah. When I did manage to get away at one stage, when I was um, when my daughter was a fair bit younger in Byron Bay, we just ended up living in poverty really for a few years because I was paying such phenomenal rent for a crappy little house in Byron Bay and I was working as a cleaner but we still had nothing yeah (laughs) and that's that's again why I was hustling as a cake maker you know you I have qualifications to do other things but it's not going to happen right now um so you just try to make it work and you're working so hard um at just making enough money to pay the bills um and and even then you you don't <laughs> you yeah. fall behind and it's um, it's a real challenge as well as you know all the other things we talked about being a mum and who's eating what and what's happening and when's the laundry getting done and all of these things um, I don't think people realise just how much um, parents especially sole parents or single parents juggle. I was really lucky. I wasn't a sole parent. I was a single parent. So I still had my weekends, you know, to myself. And I had that little bit of downtime where I could work a weekend job or I could bake at home or do all of these extra things. Um, So I have to say that I've got a bit of privilege there. Um, Were you with your girl totally on your own? I was was on my, by myself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, We never, we didn't have anything to do with her father since she was a baby. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and that's, (laughs) that's huge, Hannah. Like that's, uh, you know, my hat off to you. 
I can't even imagine how Oh, it was really, really hard. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Did you have family support? Or no, not really. Not I really. had some support from friends. It's um, not the same. No, no. Because there's so yeah. much guilt with that, isn't there? I like, had Dell around, which was lovely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was, it was really, really hard. And I'm really lucky where I am now. I have an amazing partner. Yeah. Um, who's an amazing father to yeah. both Jimmy and my daughter. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I made the decision that I'd been in too many crappy situations with men. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. no, I've got a good one this time. Um, That's yes. real nice. Yeah. That's real nice. And same, you know, my partner, uh, Loki, is amazing and he's he's learning to stepdad and learning to do all those things. And that's really lovely seeing their relationship develop and grow and finally having someone that you can depend on, I guess. Oh, it's really hard to let go, I've found. Like, totally. I'm still, like, I'm a control freak. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, look, we've we've lived together, uh, you know, over a year and a half and they had their first hangout alone together only last week. Oh, true. Yeah, or maybe the week before, you know, and it was just because I I don't want to burden anyone and I don't want my child to feel like, and they don't, they didn't care in the slightest. They were both completely fine and had they the best day They just thought it was ever. all normal. Yeah, they just yeah. didn't even, but you know, the, the things that you're sitting there considering constantly, like, you know, I don't want anyone to feel like, oh, and you know, you're mm. juggling and then you're juggling dad as well because you don't want him to feel disconnected and you there's all these things that you're constantly thinking of. Yeah, one thing I've found really hard is because I've experienced a lot of violence yep. um, and trauma from men in my life so trusting a man as I am now in my in our home my home with my children (laughs) and it um yeah I I think that's something that a a lot of women might really struggle with just kind of yeah, because I don't know, men give them they give themselves a bad rap. <laughs> yeah, they do, they do. But sometimes they deserve a bad rap. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. it's that flip side, isn't it? It's what? Um, yeah, same. Yeah, same, I've slowly learnt to, yeah, just really trust him, which is wonderful. Um, I'm slowly, slowly letting go. I think he yeah. still thinks I'm a bit of a control, and I'll be like, "Oh, you're going to do this and this and this," and, this. and he's like, "No, I've done it. I've done it. I've done all of this stuff." I'm like, yeah. "Oh, okay. Yeah. You know what I'm like." <laughs> yeah. But they they do, and, and accommodating that trauma, I guess, is yes. is when you know that you found a good egg. Yes. You know, like same with yeah. my partner. I I control freak about so many little things and he's just like it's cool I get it babe you got your thing we're good you know and and that is really really important as well that they know your history and you trust them enough to tell them your history and the fact that you know I did wait a a year and a half to kind of let my boys hang out together for the first time alone um, was a bit of a control thing as well as a trying to respect everyone thing and yeah. trying to make sure thing. But I think there's also no harm in going at our own pace. No, and good on you for, you, you know, know, getting to that stage. You might have taken you however long, yeah. an hour, a year and a half, as you said, but you got there and exactly. you can't rush these things. No, <laughs> and I think that's something that is a really valuable thing that I wish I'd learnt um, with my ex-boyfriend. Don't rush it. Yeah. Take it a lot slower. Make sure you, you're doing what you need to do. Um, you know, not that it really affected my child, you know, past relate. I mean, it must have. Of course it did. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you try to hide it as much as you can because you're a mum and that's what you do. Well, they could surprisingly, resi- surprisingly resilient. I was talking to my daughter the other day how we lived in poverty when she was younger. And yeah. she's like, oh, I never knew. Oh, I didn't that's know. so nice to hear, I Hannah. Just felt You've like- got no idea how yeah. nice that is to hear as a mum that... She had amazing community around her, wonderful, yeah. wonderful people. I think that 
made a huge difference. A lot, so much love. So she didn't yeah. realize that we didn't have any money. Yep. And, yep. and any things, you yep. know, because she. Because you did a great job. Somehow. <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> Look, it sounds cliche, doesn't it? But love is this funny, funny thing. And, um, you know, if a child feels loved and supported, um, you know, hell, if a, if a person, a mother, a partner, a husband, a they friend, whatever it is, feels loved and supported, it really doesn't matter what is happening around. Um, that resilience shines through and, and you know, I guess... I'm a testament to that. I grew up born into a war and, um, you know, there is definitely trauma from that, but I grew up with so much love in that household and care and, you know, I was a little baby and all of this and just seeing it today with Jimmy in the studio, like Delta and yourself and myself, we're all kind of just really self-aware of him and, you know, that kind of community feeling and I think um, that is something that is is invaluable. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, My daughter is turned into a beautiful... Yeah. young woman and she's so self-assured and she's so yeah, staunch. Right. She gets her in trouble a little bit sometimes <laughs> at school because yeah. she's just a bit, not, I'm going to say not too self-assured, no. but she kind of um, gets into a bit of conflict with yeah, teachers Yeah, because there's school. people who are awful in the world. Yeah, and they try it's to impose her. their power over her because she's just a young... Yeah, kid. Yeah, but she's like, no, F you. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait to hear her on the youth show soon enough, yes. I'm sure. Oh, like, I'm, I'm sure it's I'm, coming. I'm going to get her on, don't worry, yeah. eventually. But um, yeah, that's... I, I attribute that to community yeah. and the people she was around. Yeah. As a young child growing up, she was just loved by so many people. So many aunties and uncles. So and all the aunties and uncles. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and that makes up for all that stuff. And I think there's a lot of guilt associated with parenting, isn't there? Oh, um, so much guilt. You know, like, oh, we're so busy worrying about the rent and worrying about the guilt and worrying about all of this that um, most of the time our kids are pretty freaking great little yeah. units um but you know that is the reality i guess work is our work is power is uh we're talking about worker stories and that's the reality i think for most working mums is the constant stress yeah and let's let's just i want to make a really big point about the unpaid domestic labor <laughs> that mothers do it's just a huge amount of work yeah. and that's one of the reasons why we end up yep. with no super yep. and why women are ending up homeless in yep. later their later years is yep. just this huge amount of labour which goes unrecognised. Like people say, they're saying, oh, the man goes out to work and supports his family. <laughs> but the mum works 24 yep. hours a day, seven days a week. It doesn't stop. Supporting him to yep. go to work, yep. washing his clothes. and Making his lunch. Making his lunch yeah. and his dinner and looking after his time. kids. And no more of that from me, I'm afraid. I uh, I tapped out of that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't make lunches. No. I make dinner. <laughs> oh, I make dinner because it's how yeah. I make dinner you for anyone in dinner. the street. If anyone <laughs> yeah. walked in, yeah, I make dinner. But, you know, like the, the responsibility stuff, I, I think teaching ourselves to take a step back and not feel like you're a fully grown adult. <laughs> you can do this too. And I need a little bit of support. And finally, I think for the first time in my life, Hannah, at 40, I'm starting to do things like take care of my health. Yeah. And that's something that as a mum, a working mum, you don't. Mm. You, you don't even, I didn't even, I've lost a bunch of teeth over the years because I don't have time to do it or money to do it. And if it's you a, put your kids first, yeah, like that's I, right. I, my teeth, as we've discussed, yeah. I need to get worked on my teeth, but I'm same. I doesn't like, I haven't done it admittedly. No. I haven't no. gone on the list. Yeah. Yet. Go on the list. Yeah, we talked I'm about gonna this. I'm going to do it, but yeah. I'm just too busy doing things for my kids 
reason for my family totally. that it just never really gets to the front of my mind. No. So just make this phone call to get my teeth fixed. One phone call. And, and you yeah. know, it sounds, it sounds ridiculous, but, um, you know, you, you don't make time to do it. Mm. And then as a result, you get to 40 and you're missing a bunch of teeth and, you know, you're kind of like, oh, God, I wish I made the phone call and I wish I listened. You won't. I know, like, because I didn't. Um, <laughs> I'm but really going to try. Yeah. But it's the same with health things, you know, like yeah. now my, my uterus is on the blink and, you know, there's all these other things going on. There's biopsies and scans and things. And, you know, if I'd done it five, ten years ago and, and stayed on top of it and paid attention to my body and mm. paid attention to all those nice things and, um, you know, being working class or, or below even, um, we don't do those things and we don't have time for that stuff and we don't consider it because we're working parents and, um, yeah, I, I'm sure that there's a bajillion people listening that are nodding uh, yes. <laughs> right now, just going, yep. Um, and it's so vital we do do that because when we then need to find housing in our older age, we have a plethora of health problems as well yes. that go hand in hand with our being without a home, without a place to go, uh, unstable. And I'm really worried about that future generation of women. I'm worried about myself. Yeah. Um, I'm worried about my friends. Uh, what are we going to do? Yeah, you're listening to Workers Power on Four Triple Z with Hannah, Nadine, Delta, and Little Jimmy is back in the studio. He went for a bit of a wander with his. Mm. his <laughs> oh, he's saying hi. <laughs> he went for a bit of a walk with his Arnie. Did a big gunung and. Now he's back. <laughs> yeah, did a stinky one. Come on, let's be truthful there, Jimmy. <laughs> Say hello. <laughs> He's smiling. And lots of heavy breathing there, Jimmy. Uh. <laughs> yeah, good boy. You'll be a radio star in no time, buddy. <laughs> all right, so we we're having a good chat before the break about all different factors of being a working mum, I suppose. Um, we don't really have many more stories to share. Was there anything you wanted to add in from out in the hallway there, Del, while we were chatting? Oh, gosh, you put me on the spot just then. I'm, I'm sort of <laughs> jumping on the go with what you are talking about. But, um, you know, I love being a working mum. I wouldn't change it for the world. And my kids, um, you know, I had four children, but I also raised my partner's three. So mm, it's wow. raising, you know, big mob of... That's a big family. Um, big mob of kids. kids. <laughs> yeah. And my youngest is 23 and our eldest is 33. Wow. And they're very close for a blended family. They yeah. still, you know, um, hang out a lot together as adults and help raise each other other's children. I've got nine beautiful grandchildren who I'm just so proud of and my kids have done a wonderful job so I wouldn't want to change um, anything for the world. I'm really happy that I worked. My kids grew up in a a really tight-knit community in Melbourne and got to know other other cultures and uh, now they come to Byron Bay um, to their homelands. Are they still in Melbourne? Yeah Yeah. and they come up and visit so it's wonderful. So I'm really really missing them. I'd love to have a grandmother, uh, you know, a mum down in Byron Bay. Oh my (laughs) kids My kids get cranky with me because I'll sit the kids up while they help me cut cut up dinner and they're like, we weren't allowed to sit on the kitchen bench because I was a really strict mum, you know. Yeah. I was just like a sergeant you while, had to be. While, while Dad was the good one Chill. and I was like, like nah, pick yeah. up your clothes, put them in the laundry, do this, do that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, my grandkids get away with everything now and I just melt and then I'm exhausted (laughs) and I just give them back. I love being a grandparent. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's funny you should say that, though, because I'm the strict one in my family, which is really funny because I'm also very not at all in any way normally. <laughs> mm. But, yeah, mm. I'm I'm the authoritarian. I'm yes. the one that, no, you've got yes. to do this and get that done and come on, shoes and blah, 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 And then you feel like a drill sergeant. You yeah. kind of have to be, though, don't you, to totally, just to maintain totally. some semblance but of order. It pisses <laughs> me off because we shouldn't have to be because the other mm. person should be doing that. And that's, you know, this is what we're talking about, gendered, um, you know, responsibilities and, and gendered labour. These are the kinds of things that mothers are forced into those roles and sometimes it's not you at all. And my daughters as mothers now, they go, they're the same. Oh, I see why you used to do this and this and this. Yeah. Like They're doing that with their children now, you know. Yeah. They've got a bedtime routine of one story and then bed and, yeah, yeah so they've picked up what, what they went through as a child and yeah. uh, they're great mums I'm so yeah, pr- and course. great fathers. Beautiful. I'm so proud of them. You know, I do wish I had sometimes another child because um, I have an only child and he does really well. He's great, beautiful. I did decide to stop at one. Um, but, you know, sometimes hearing stories like that where, you know, the kids all get along and that kind of thing and they help each other out and blah, blah, I worry for him later in life um, not having that kind of thing. But then I think in Australia... Um, because we're from another culture, our culture, he calls his cousins my brothers and sisters. You know, this is my little brother George and this is Aww. my little sister Liana. And, you know, mm. he has mm. that connection to them and is very close with his cousins and same with my sister's children. Um, you know, so he feels like he has brothers and sisters. He doesn't feel alone. Um, well, that's yeah. the main thing, I yeah. suppose, isn't it? And yeah. you hit the nail on the head there, Nadine, because our cultures evolve, you know. Yeah. We're not going to stay back there in the uh, Stone Age. People say mm. to me, oh, but you don't hunt and gather oh. like you used to. Why should you have native Neither title rights? Neither do you, rights? mates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, our cultures evolve, evolve. We're, we're yeah. smart people. Yeah. Um, if, if if there's iron, then we're going to use a, a pot to collect uh, our water in. Well, they used to hunt and up. gather too. It's not, yeah. you know, like yeah. a, what... what? Your women aren't living in sheds and cleaning houses and dirt so floors. Today, Throwing um, your sewage out the window. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we never did that. So today, you know, I've got so many brothers and sisters, you know. Yeah, Hannah's nice. always going to be my, my sister wherever yeah. she lives in, in, um, in the in the city yeah. um, and I'm really, really happy to always have her in my life and, oh, and I now I've picked up a new sister, you, <laughs> Nadine, yeah. eh? Yep. Beautiful, thank culture. you so much. Yeah. It's an honour, like, yeah. you know, sure. it's, it is and it's so nice to, when you connect with someone and know that they're good people and good hearts and, yeah. you know, there's that connection. It's funny because, you know, we, we we met online, Hannah, yeah. and um, online me can be a little bit gruff and because I have to feel like I ha- like being the mum. I was fan girl, you so bad. Like, oh, oh she's so I'm tough so and she just but says you know, it. You know, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a real bitch online sometimes because, yeah. you know, I have to be. I have to be that mum. I have to be that, you know, but then when you meet me in person, I'm actually a marshmallow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, we are. But, we are. but, you know, you don't see that. Um, and it's really hard because you put on that mum face mm-hmm. and I'm the mum online to mm-hmm. try to teach and do and things. And it, and it is hard. So, mm-hmm nail on the head with the mum switching code switching of parenting you know um do, can i ask some questions yeah. we're raising children from mixed cultures and and um different backgrounds in different communities um have you found that um how do we exactly phrase this you raised your kids in a multicultural community mm. um did they struggle Del, did they, did they, you know, as a mum, did you feel that they struggled being in a multicultural community, being from a different... Would it have been different in Byron? Would it have been different in Melbourne? Do you have any kind of, like... 
I'm really glad that my kids grow up in a multicultural um, society yeah. um, because if you're going to grow up in, say, like a, a, a white town like I grew up in, yeah. you're just totally ignorant of all these amazing um, cultures out there and we're eating pizza and, you know, we're having fried rice. That's not a European thing no. in Byron Bay. No. So to actually go down to Melbourne and watch people cook it and hear the, the stories behind food, yeah. like food's incredible when you hear it from from my African friends yeah. and, and uh, my Muslim friends like the food stories we've all got these food stories no matter what what colour you are it's incredible and food brings us together so for my children to grow up with all these other cultures and share so many values that are that are the same yeah no matter if you're christian or or lebanese or um um, aboriginal we all have these family values of being kind and sharing and caring yeah yeah. You're coming together for food. And that's really part of the parenting, isn't it? Is raising your children to be super open and super accepting and, um, you know, wanting to try all the things. And, um, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I just kind of think about it and think, wow, hasn't the world changed in in the 30 years since I came to Australia? It's so different. Yeah, and, and I don't like to, to bring up the the T word, but it's really interesting watching um, the news and seeing what Trump's doing to the world, you know, all the racism and the hate against uh, coloured people, like the Mexicans. uh, He made it okay to be that way. (laughs) Sexism. It was acceptable. Yeah. Um, I'm just so glad that, you know, on on the grassroots that, that people are just especially mums, they want to raise their children on their good old-fashioned values um, and not on this... this, uh, Well, mums of colour and black mums, you know, especially. We saw in the US election um, the breakdown of how people voted Mm. um, and black women led the way um, for, for bringing Trump down. And um, old white were, men were the majority of votes majority, for Trump. <laughs> yeah, with the majority of votes yeah. for Trump, seconded by older white women, mm. um, which is hardly surprising but disappointing. And let's yeah. hope they die off. Um, and I can, you know, say that yeah, we don't need them. Kind of miss the old days where racism was behind closed doors yeah. and polite. You know, like, no, I don't. I'm glad we know and we see it more. But yeah. at the same time. Yeah, I'm full of I'm full of hope for our future because our young children we've been watching around the world how switched on they are. Oh, about they are so switched change. on. Yeah, yeah. especially while, with social while the media. White old fellas mm. are just you know got the blinkers on and don't want to. Um, uh, uh, you know, know about climate change. They yeah. th- all they worried about is making money. money. Mm. But our young people, they're switched on, and yeah. it just brings tears to to your eyes to hear these, you know, eight year olds. Yeah, these eight year olds making a stand. Yeah, they're, they're spouting facts from scientists. So yeah, we live in a world of hope. We That's do. That's real nice. That's it's all about the Gen Zers. <laughs> yeah. and, and Sky tells me all the time how progressive Gen Zers are. They are they all oh, over. Is that the it term? Is it? Uh, yeah, I think yeah, so. Sky's generation is the Gen. Yeah, Generation oh, Z. Yeah. Well, she, there yeah, you go. Yeah. Loves to tell me all about it and put crap on boomers and yeah. call me a boomer and I'm a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> So what am I? I'm, I'm above you. What am I? You're a Gen X, yeah, I think. Gen X. Oh, yeah, Gen I'm on the cusp. I'm just X. Just Mark. make it as a millennial, but 
Yeah, no, one year, not dark. much. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to be. No, oh, yeah, was really right. I want to be a Zeta. Awesome. I want to be a Zeta. Zeta on the inside. We yeah. can stand with the Gen Zs. Yeah. But Gen X ruled. Like, my sisters were Gen X, and they were kind of the first generation to really, um, you know, start talking about racism and start talking about this kind of thing and start talking about the environment. I think Gen X was this real... Um, structural change that's when we saw it really gen x kind of started getting into power and started changing Mm. things and the kids were you know all right and um doing all this stuff and gen x responsible pretty much for punk music going mainstream and responsible for all this rebellion and responsible you know nice so i think you know big respect to gen x i'm a big fan yeah um i got some deadly gen x's (laughs) so you know i think we've all had a, a, a role in it um, and I wouldn't be who I was without the Gen Xs, you know, introducing me to all of the things um, that I've learned about. So I think it's really powerful. Yep. Yes. Yep. Did well, we have a, um, a thingy majiggy to do? A scallywag? Oh, yes. We better do the scallywag. Bill, if you're listening in, I haven't forgotten about the scallywag. Is Bill the scallywag? I've been waiting for the scallywag. (laughs) All right. So dozens of Bendigo dairy workers have halted work, calling for a pay rise and secure jobs from processor Lactalis. A total 140 workers at Lactalis Bendigo plant began indefinite strike action on Thursday morning. United Workers Union organiser Tom Sheck said Bendigo Lactalis workers wanted better pay and job security for themselves, their families and the community. Mr Sheck said Lactalis had a high rate of workers on insecure contracts such as casual or fixed term contracts. Over the last decade, there have been several cases of large dairy operators mothballing their sites and refusing to sell to other dairy companies as a way to prevent competition. This type of industrial sabotage is devastating for regional towns and the dairy industry. For this grubby behaviour, Lactalis and its CEO, Rob Walden, earn this week's Scallywag of the Week. Grubby grubs, they need to pay their workers properly. Piss off, Rob. Yes, piss off, Rob. Comrades, so you have been listening to the Workers Power Mums Power Special. And we have pretty much run out of time, unfortunately. (laughs) We've just been gabbering on. Um, but it's, yeah, it's been so wonderful to have you both in the studio, Delta and Nadine. Thank yeah, you thank so, you so much. much. I've thank had you. so much uh, fun just yarning out with you beautiful women. Yeah. It's I really... could go a couple more hours. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I was like looking at the time like, oh, oh no. <laughs> so anyway, make sure you stick around for Brisbane Lines, which is up next. They will inform you in what's happening around Mianjin and yeah we will see you next week bye. Jimmy no says bye <laughs>